0: section 11 of among typhoons and pirate craft by lindsay anderson this librivox recording is in the public domain section 11 chapters 31 through 33 chapter 31 shanghai again and bob allen mr jewel and i have the morning watch the rather intricate navigation of this inner passage necessitating the presence on deck of two officers in each watch as soon as we have distinctly made out the distance between us and the zephyr i am sent below to inform the captain of the present position of the two vessels eight miles ahead did you say anderson queries the captain when i make my report to him about that sir or more i reply "'That will never do, you know,' exclaims the captain. "'Just tell Mr. Jewell to put every stitch of our canvas in soak. Let the other work stand over for a bit, and be sharp about getting the canvas soaked.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' I reply, as I take my way up to the quarter-deck, and make my report to the chief officer. The force-pump is manned, and the hose led up to the main cross-trees. Then a perfect deluge of water is showered upon the gaff-topsail and mainsail a couple of gantlines lines are rove through tall blocks made fast on the top-gallant yard and bucket after bucket of water finds its way aloft wherewith to deluge the canvas on the fore-part of the vessel the captain makes his appearance on the quarter-deck to take a look at the zephyr and see if he cannot do something to improve our speed we are too much by the head says the captain to mr Jewell send two or three hands down below to move our passengers as far aft as they can be got the deck passengers are likewise conducted aft and made to squat down on the quarter-deck on the weather side so as to be clear of the falling water The water is kept in a continual pour upon the sails, and after an hour has passed, under this new order of things, we note with satisfaction that we are gradually and surely decreasing the distance between us and our consort. We cross the bar within a quarter of an hour of the Zephyr, and are little more than half a mile astern of her when we arrive off the receiving ship the zephyr keeps on up the river without stopping but we having left our two japanese passengers on board the receiving ship lie to and send a boat to bring them on board half an hour is nearly lost over this proceeding so as soon as we have filled away again the water is again brought into requisition as a means of accelerating our speed until we get within a mile or two of shanghai we are not long in arriving after the Zephyr, considering the start she had of us and the long wait we had at the receiving ship, for they have scarcely finished furling their sails when we drop our anchor a little way astern of them. Both vessels are immediately surrounded with a clamouring crowd of sampans, which have been waiting to disembark our fugitive celestials from ningpo sampans and lighters of every description are freely allowed to come alongside for we are glad to be eased of the responsibility of looking after the heterogeneous mass of human beings we have brought round from the beleaguered city two hours are nearly consumed over their disembarkation then all hands are turned to to wash and cleanse the hold and remove all the stains and filth that are the usual concomitants of this style of passengers before the sun goes down the Emont is once more like herself and having been well disinfected we are able to breathe with confidence the air that now pervades her interior both forward and aft boarding nettings are triced up as is usual in port the booms are swung out and after mr jule is satisfied with the general appearance of the Emont within and without one watch is allowed on shore on leave and a sufficiency of bright mexican dollars allowed them wherewith to enjoy themselves in the manner most fitting to themselves the captain and the japs went on shore almost as soon as we came to anchor and as he left word that he would stay on shore for the night mr jule nealance and i adjourned to dinner when the hands have been dismissed and an armed watch set during the evening we are visited by some of the officers of the zephyr and a pleasant evening soon passes away as we recount our various adventures one of these officers hailed from the land of cakes so that we had many pleasant reminiscences to talk over as we smoked and paraded the quarter-deck curiously enough the exigencies of the service precluded me from again meeting this brither scott in the far east yet so small a place is this world after all that i had the pleasure one day only a few years ago of knocking up against this countryman of mine when in command of a large new steamer going out to india on the third day after our arrival in shanghai the captain who has been staying on shore the most of the time sends off word to mr jule to get the eamont ready for sea the following day at noon in a manner as far as the vessel and her equipment is concerned we are always ready for sea our magazine is always kept well stocked with fighting material and it is generally the larder only that requires replenishing when the order comes to proceed to sea Mackenzie's store receives a visit that afternoon, as also various Chinese chops that deal in eatables, and Mr. Robert Allen's boarding-house is not forgotten, for we also call upon him, and prevail upon him, not to detain any of our now well-trained crew. Bob is all smiles and gaiety when we make our descent upon his quarters at the other side of the river, and nothing will please him but standing drinks all round nealance and i spend an hour or two listening to bob as he recounts to us many of his adventures on the river in pursuit of his necessary though perhaps nefarious trade in those days there were so many inducements to young seamen of a roving disposition to quit their half-starved deep-water vessels and try their luck on the lorcas that traded up the river that captains of vessels were of necessity forced to recognize and be civil to bob allen or else go to sea with a half-manned vessel bob may have been the genius that introduced shanghaiings still there is this to be said for him he was liberal in his treatment of his boarders both in their food and money matters and he was no less honorable in his transactions with captains who acted in a like honorable manner towards himself and if once he promised to find a crew for any vessel, you may be sure that a crew would arrive on board that vessel at the stated time, from whence brought, was best known to Bob and the men themselves. "'I suppose you will be coming back here again?' asks Bob of Nealance and me, when we rise to take our leave. "'Oh, yes,' replies Nealance. "'We'll be back in two or three weeks.' come over and have a look at us when you come back says bob for i have got a big order for arms to run up the river and as i cannot go myself there would be a good chance for you two to make a pile of dollars our time in port has been so short lately i remark that there is no time to make a run even if we had leave look here says bob you two fellows and one or two yokels with little or no gumption that i can pick up could run a lorcha up and down in three days easily and then look at the pile of dollars or bar silver to be had for such a little job we may have a fortnight or three weeks when we come back says nealance i suppose it will all depend on whether we finish this japanese business this trip or not well good-night both says bob and think over my offer all right says nealance and don't forget to have all our liberty men off by eight to-morrow morning never fear says bob but what they'll be there for your fellows are as good as gold to me seeing they spend most of their money here good-night bob we finally say as we take our leave BUT BOB HAS TAKEN SUCH AN INTEREST IN NEALANCE AND ME THAT HE WALKS DOWN TO THE BOAT WITH US, TALKING ALL THE WAY ABOUT THIS VENTURE OF HIS, RUNNING UP THE RIVER WITH A SUPPLY OF ARMS AND AMMUNITION, MOST PROBABLY FOR THE REBEL ARMY, AS THE Taipings WERE TERMED, BUT TO MANY OF US OUT THERE, THEN, IT WAS VERY DIFFICULT TO DEFINE WHICH WAS THE REBEL ARMY AND WHICH WAS THE ARMY OF LAW AND ORDER we manage to get away from bob eventually without committing ourselves to any distinct arrangement although he tries his most persuasive powers to get some sort of binding promise from us that we would share in his speculation on our return We make our way back on board the Eamont, and after a smoke and a chat with Mr. Jewell, to whom we recount all our doings while we have been on shore, we are glad to turn into our cabins and seek the solacing rest that is necessary to prepare us for the work of the coming day. CHAPTER Thirty Two: SHANGHAI TO NAGASAKI WITH DISPATCHES our liberty men punctually arrive on board at their stated time as also all our fresh supplies of larder stores and other necessities the work of preparing for sea goes forward and at ten o'clock in the forenoon i am dispatched with the captain's gig for the purpose of bringing off the dispatches and mails as also the captain himself and our passengers as soon as they have completed their business on shore seamen as a rule were always a source of anxiety to a commander in those days therefore the captain's first question to me when i meet him on shore is just what i expected are all hands on board mr anderson queries the captain yes sir i reply with a smile as i see his face relieved of its anxious expression i'm glad of that says the captain for i hear numerous complaints of desertions and was rather afraid bob allen might have tried to seduce some of our fellows and sell them to a higher bidder such fabulous sums are being offered for runs to england and any amount of men to man the lorcas, besides the promises of plenty of loot they have turned up all right enough this time i say but if bob had not been convinced by nealance and me that we were coming straight back i doubt very much if we would not have been minus a few of them this morning as it is bob is quite content to leave them with us so long as they spend the greater part of their dollars in his house i see says the captain with a smile if i had not allowed them a good share of liberty and plenty of dollars bob would have found a way of getting money out of them in some other manner that's it sir i reply but as the men seem pleased enough with the conditions and always turn up at the proper time to relieve one another we are better off than always having a new crowd to lick into shape oh yes says the captain i am perfectly satisfied with the liberty granted by mr jule and although our crew is comprised of a curious mixture of the devil-may-care sailor of all nations they are on the whole not a bad lot now we have got them into some kind of order may i ask where we are bound this time sir i say of the captain nagasaki of course replies the captain and this time we have the completed treaty so that we will be able to go where we like this time as well as buy and sell anything we have a mind to we have also got the american treaty dispatches which are to be delivered to the commodore in command of the paddle-wheel sloop-of-war mississippi bring a couple of hands to the consulate with you says the captain and we will go and see if they have got the dispatches ready Followed by our two men, we take our way to the British Consulate, where, after waiting some little time, we are given the dispatch-boxes and various other parcels to carry down to the boat, I myself accompanying such valuable articles to the boat, and remaining there till joined by the commander. The captain and the two Japs follow closely on our heels, then we shove off and are soon landed on board the Eamont. Heave short, Mr. Jewell, says the captain, after he has saluted his officers, while I go and get on my sea-going togs. Round goes the capstan, and home comes the topsail sheets at the same time. Topgallant sheets next find their way home on the topsail yard. The yards are braced by, and as the captain appears on the quarter-deck in his a weather suit, he signals with his hand to Mr. Jewell to heave up so again round goes the capstan which has been stopped at a short stay-peak and as the anchor leaves its bed in the bottom of the river the Emont gracefully swings round under the influence of her backed sails till she is round with her head down the river then all sail is rapidly spread upon her we exchange signals with the zephyr on passing and lower our ensign to one chinese gunboat that is lying here for the protection of the commercial interests of this fast-increasing trading community this chinese gunboat was a sight to behold and as for her utility the many encounters we had with the piratical lorcas not far from wu demonstrated the uselessness of attempting to suppress the everyday piracies that were then the rule by such an obsolete old paddle-wheel steamboat that had been running on some american river till she had become almost worthless and unseaworthy Any of our schooners could have easily destroyed her, and I doubt very much if the pirates whom she sometimes captured were not frightened into submission by imbibing the idea that there was something of the supernatural about her, as they witnessed her bearing down upon them, and at the same time emitting from her bowels vast volumes of smoke and flame, like a very demon of the sea, and a sight they had not yet got to know much about.' A smart breeze all the way down the river brings us to an anchor before sunset in our usual anchoring-ground under the guns of our receiving-ship at Wusung. the sails are furled and everything made safe for the night then we proceed to dinner where we are joined by the captain of the receiving-ship who again informs our captain that he had better be upon his guard for he has heard that some of the Lorcas are bent on our extermination this warning makes no sensible effect on our spirits nor does it affect our appetites to judge by the amount of good food and wine that is stowed away beneath our vests and although the main topic of conversation that evening was reminiscences of various sea-fights i don't suppose any of us slept one whit less soundly than at any other time at daylight the following morning the cutter is put in the water and various trips take place between us and the receiving ship as we transport to the Emont the various cases that go to make up our cargo having got all our merchandise on board by ten o'clock we weigh our anchor and proceed to sea Trusting to the long-tried prowess of our commander and our own dogged, never say die disposition, we are not troubled with any qualms as to the result should we meet any of the Lorcas spoken of by the captain of the receiving ship. Although the year has advanced a bit since we sailed for Nishwang, the monsoon has abated but little, and we find quite a sufficiency of wind for a good whole sail breeze we take a different track this time in order to avoid having any collision with the piratical lorcas not from any fear of them however but only because we are carrying very important dispatches which are expected to be delivered without delay and the chance of losing a spar by a chance shot from a lorca is of all things to be avoided on this important passage after crossing the bar the eamont is headed so as to pass south of the saddle islands a decision the captain had come to on the assumption that if the Lorcas had got any information they would be on the watch for us to the northward they no doubt imagining that we would take that weatherly route in order to keep as much to windward as we could before starting to cross the monsoon the assumption the captain based his decision on proved to be perfectly correct for when we are half-way between the bar and the south saddle islands we descry away on our port quarter a small fleet of lorcas making all the sail they can in a vain endeavor to get between us and the channel ahead steadily we pursue our course neither altering tack nor sheet not even applying the water-help to our canvas so sure are we that we can outstrip the lorcas with ease although some of them are getting up their curious-shaped topsails in their futile attempt to cut us off the chase is kept up till we close in on the island but they never get within the range of our long guns and as we sweep round the island into the channel we shut our baffled pursuers from our gaze altogether the channel is clear and seemingly deserted for we neither see lorcas on the water nor anything human on the land swiftly and smoothly we glide through the channel the waters of which are as smooth as a sheet of ice but as soon as we reach the eastern end the eamont once more begins to show her agility in leaping the troubled waters of the monsoon disturbed sea and as is her usual style in heavy weather when she cannot get over the waves she makes a graceful obeisance to neptune and glides or rather rushes under the crested wave to gain its other side while at the same time she rather unmercifully causes huge volumes of the salt sea spray to be showered upon her decks and all around much to the inconvenience of those who are only comfortable when perfectly dry and warm we and the Emont are accustomed to wetting and take but little heed of it no more than having a good shake at ourselves somewhat after the fashion of a retriever or newfoundland dog when he comes out of the water when the course is set for nagasaki a good pull is taken on all the weather braces and a topmost studding sail is set the wind not allowing of any more flying kites at present the sea-watch is then set and we again return to our normal state of regular routine that obtains with us when at sea which in weather such as we now experience consists in solely attending to the trimming of the sails and making the most of any favourable opportunity for pushing ahead that may present itself when the wind has a tendency to lull we immediately lace the bonnets on to the sails in order to intercept every portion of wind force and use it to our advantage should the wind increase to any great extent the bonnets are taken off for the time and the watch on deck are set to stand by all halyards tacks and sheets for although all our sails and gear are of the stoutest and best that are manufactured we neglect no precaution that prudence may suggest to save our spars three days of a fresh though somewhat unsteady monsoon brings us again within sight of the high land at the western extremity of japan We make the land shortly after the sun has crossed the meridian, and as the wind has taken off a good deal as we approach the coast, darkness sets in ere we enter the gulf which forms the harbour of Nagasaki. CHAPTER thirty-three, ARRIVE AT NAGASAKI AND ARE CAUGHT IN A TRAP entering the gulf under cover of the night we carefully pilot our way towards the inner harbour and endeavour to reach the anchorage without attracting the attention of any of the inhabitants in order to surprise them with our reappearance before we arrive at the anchorage we are enveloped in a heavy squall of wind and rain which effectually hides our arrival from any peering eyes that may be on the watch while at the same time the noise of the wind and the pouring of the heavy rain effectually drown any more than usual noise we make, as we round two, not far from the main landing, and let go our anchor. Finding one anchor insufficient to bring her up with such short scope, the second and the best bower anchor is also let go. This second anchor succeeds in bringing the e up, causing her to swing round with her head to the windward, and it is only then that we feel the full force of the squall, which is fast increasing into a heavy gale. Luckily, most of our sails were furled as we leisurely groped our way up the gulf, previous to the advent of the squall, so that we are soon riding as snug as we can under the circumstances this is no ordinary squall i hear the captain saying to mr jewel as it first appeared but a downright hard blow we are going to have how is the glass sir queries mr jewel trending downwards if anything replies the captain and then adds we will keep sea watch to-night so that we can give her cable at any time it is good holding-ground i believe so all we require is to let her have plenty scope of cable and she will ride like a duck all that night and the following day the gale keeps on with but little alteration in force or direction until it is near the time of sunset when a slight diminution in the force of the wind is distinctly felt and when the sun has actually disappeared from our portion of the heavens the wind although still blowing fresh has lost all its fierceness and now quietly subsides into a steady moderate gale we have had no communication with the shore yet for all our energies have been exerted in attending to the eamont throughout the gale and however important our dispatches may be the safety of the vessel is of paramount consequence to our commander although he is no doubt exceedingly anxious to land and communicate with careero when we regain the quarter-deck after dinner the weather seems inclined to improve still more the captain noting this suggests to mr nealance and me the necessity of attempting to land our dispatches having expressed our willingness to make the attempt the captain instructs mr jewell to get his gig put in the water and manned then he requests nealance and me to attend him in his private cabin now gentlemen says the captain to us when we have entered his cabin i am going to entrust you with some papers of great importance which you will deliver to mr careero and to him only if you find it impossible to reach him to-night i expect you to return with the papers and not run any unnecessary risk that might lead to their loss very good sir replies nealance speaking for us both as you cannot land at careero's house says the captain the only other place is the main landing where we landed when we visited the city now are you quite sure you know the bearings of careero's house from there and that you can find your way there after you have landed yes i think so replies nealance all we have to do when we get through the gateway is to bear to the right and keep to the eastward on the outskirts of the dutch settlement till we reach open ground then the rest of the way is quite plain that is the very plan smilingly assents the captain but look here it is just possible that some emissaries of the party that are against the treaty may be on the watch to prevent you reaching in that case you will return on board and we will think out some other plan of reaching him we might have waited till to-morrow continues the captain only we are so much behind time already and it might prejudice the treaty considerably were it delayed any longer will either of the two japs accompany us asked nealance no i am afraid not replies the captain you see it is this way with them they don't wish to be seen in the business by any of the priestly party till they have succeeded in a final settlement of the negotiations and it is also possible that if they were to land with you they might be seized and carried off into the interior by some of their opponents secure that packet inside your vest says the captain holding a large blue envelope towards nealance then turning towards me with another similar packet he says and here is one for you also anderson now away you go and good luck to you says the captain when we have closely buttoned our jackets and are ready to depart Then adds as we leave his cabin don't forget your revolvers and you had better let the boat's crew carry side-arms as well leaving the captain in his cabin we proceed to our cabins and don our harness carefully filling our cartridge pouch with ammunition and reloading our revolvers when we reach the deck we find that mr jule has got the gig ready and that he has put an armed crew into her therefore as soon as we arrive at the gangway we say good-night to mr jule and then find our way down into the boat shove off shouts nealance as soon as we have taken our seats and in a trice we are bounding away towards the landing as fast as six powerful oarsmen can propel in our captain's favorite whaleboat fashioned gig we have eight men in the gig with us so when we land at the steps four of the crew follow us on to the landing and the other four push off from the steps a little way and bring the boat to an anchor after mr nealance has satisfied himself regarding the safety of our boat we take our way in double file up the steps towards the archway through which we have to pass to gain the city or any portion of its environments as usual we find a goodly number of soldiers or what appear to be military standing on both sides of the gateway they make no attempt to stop us as we march on our way but after taking a severe scrutinizing look at us the officer in command of this guard tells off some half-dozen of his men to follow on with us not for our protection if the look on his face can be taken as an indication of his purpose but for the purpose of preventing our entrance into the city we have no desire to enter the city our way lies in an opposite direction but we have a great and overwhelming desire to be rid of our self-appointed escort this will never do says nealance to me when we are well assured the guard intend to stick to us no that it won't i reply but how are we to get rid of them i also ask of my comrade we will have to do them the first dark road we come to replies Neelance. The streets or roads we were then walking along were lit up with a kind of chinese lantern which although not giving much light except in their immediate vicinity served the purpose of defining the length of the streets but were useless as we found to our cost in pointing out to the stranger for his guidance any of the crossings from which he might care to take a departure or shape a course We purposely avoid taking the road that leads to Carrero's until we can get rid of our enforced escort. Street after street we traverse, but find no way to evade our company, and at length, quite unexpectedly, we find ourselves back at the boat-landing. We come to a halt to consider our position and what next to do. Our escort at the same time taking the opportunity of reporting to their officers our, possibly to them, peculiar proceedings. What do you say, Anderson? queries Nealance, if we strike out boldly along the road to Careero's? Best thing we can do, I reply, if we mean to get there, and if they follow us to the open, we may be able to get rid of them amongst the brushwood without too much noise, if they persist in escorting us thus far shoot them do you mean asked nealance not unless they will consent to be bound and gagged i reply what will you gag them with asked nealance whatever comes to hand their own sashes sword belts and cloaks but we will have to disarm them first and i am not sure if they will know enough about a revolver to be frightened at it so that we may have our work set if gunpowder be prohibited i reply come along then says nealance and we take our way this time along the road that leads round the outskirts of the monopolist settlement closely accompanied by our japanese escort it is a very great truth indeed and ofttimes it is exemplified in the affairs of human life that the best laid schemes that emanate from the human brain go as often wrong as the small and petty schemes of the most insignificant object endowed with animal life Just so was it with us that night, for a single turning to the left, which was gently forced upon us by our escort, seemingly to protect us from the danger of falling into the water, the noise of which, breaking on the beach, we could distinctly hear. But we soon found, to our dismay, that our safety had in no wise disturbed them, for all their doings were only part of a preconcerted plan." the road they have edged us into is like the streets in the settlement it is well hung with paper lanterns and looks of an interminable length as we look to the eastward between the glimmering lights and we console ourselves with the possibility that this long straight road may lead to the very outskirts of the place with every confidence that we have found the right track we put on a spurt to accelerate our march and if so be leave our escort behind Our spurt, alas, for us, comes to a very abrupt termination, for without the slightest sign of any interruption or even a crossing traversing this lengthy looking road, first Nealance and then I, followed by two of our men who have not time to halt when we vanish, are all precipitated into a pit that is full of all the most filthy slime and garbage which could possibly be imagined. We cannot speak, being partially choked and it is lucky for us that two of our men have escaped our peril and are able to assist us in clambering out of this horrible pit when we manage to regain the road we find our escort has departed and we are not allowed the satisfaction of even having a shot at them so suddenly have they disappeared from our view we waste no time standing near the scene of our discomfiture but as soon as we have all scrambled out we take to our heels and rush for the landing then when we get there we spring past the guards and dive right into the water to clear ourselves of the abominable filth the odor of which has for the time stopped our utterances as well as disconcerted any immediate action on our part our two men who escaped falling into the mess hail the boat which is speedily brought to the landing and after we have succeeded in cleansing ourselves we take our places in the boat and push off from the wharf to consider on our next move i suppose it won't do to take summary vengeance on these fellows although i would like to says nealance for we might get shooting the wrong parties and then i suppose it would be good-bye to the treaty the blame being put on us i suppose so i remark although it does seem hard to come away without doing something how is that paper in your breast asks nealance as he draws out his own from beneath his vest damp i reply but not torn only wants drying like me to be all right mine seems all right says nealance and as the sea has gone down a bit i move that we pull right round to careero's house and chance landing on the beach for i never like to say that i am beaten agreed say i another ducking more or less won't make much difference give way then my lads says nealance and then adds to cheer us up a bit the sooner we get there the sooner we will be within the reach of something to cheer our inward man End of part eleven.